0: much of the Bible is devoted to relationship principles, providing us with guidelines and descriptions of how we should relate to each other. Today, we begin the series with one key word, connected. This message is the first in the series, Relate. The message is entitled, Get Connected. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Go ahead and grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in just a moment in Genesis chapter 2. Before we land in Genesis chapter 2, there are a few verses I want to take you to from the Apostle Paul, but that will be the, really the, the launch point for the message today is Genesis chapter 2 as we start a new series of messages called Relate. We're talking about relationships. As you look at your life, I would imagine that your life is very much like my life. When I reflect back on the high points of my life, I would have to say that Obviously, the highest points of my life have to do with my relationship with God, fellowship with Him. There's nothing greater than a relationship with God. But secondary only to that are the relationships I've had with people and people that are still in my life and the high moments of being able to spend time with people that you love and be around people that are valuable and precious to you. And also, on the opposite side of that coin, some of the lowest moments I've ever had in my life are moments that have to do with the relationships. How about you? The highs and the lows of relationships. They're really great, wonderful, can bring tremendous joy to your life. They can also bring great pain to your life as well. They run the entire gamut, and so we have to learn as human beings and certainly as Christian believers, how do we deal with relationships? How do we handle them the right way? What is even the right way to handle them? And it helps for us to understand that the Bible is a book about relationships, First and foremost, it's a book about relationship with God. That's what this story is all about from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of people encountering God and coming into relationship with God and falling out of relationship with God and coming back to relationship with God. The story of people, men and women, young people, older people who enter into relationship with God, but also they enter into relationships with other people around them. You can't really think of Moses without thinking about Joshua. You can't think really about Elijah without thinking about Elisha. You can't think about Jesus without thinking about his 12 disciples. You can't think about Paul without thinking about Timothy and Titus and Philemon and Barnabas and Silas and all the people that were around him, Luke and the others. You can't think about Peter without thinking about James and John. You can't think about Elizabeth without thinking about Mary. All of these are relationships, human relationships of life, and they're very, very powerful. I think all of us would agree that the Apostle Paul was a very powerful man of God. Would you agree with me on that? He's a man that loved Jesus. I mean, we could not in even any way communicate the depth of love that Paul had for Christ after coming to relationship with him on the road to Damascus, a man that fell in love with the Lord and loved him deeply and served him greatly. But Paul also valued people in his life. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 7 on our way to Genesis here in just a moment. Paul talks about the relationships of his life as he's writing his second letter to the church at Corinth. And he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of who? It's interesting, he didn't say by the coming of the Holy Spirit, although the Holy Spirit certainly was there for him. It was not so much even about the comfort of the Scriptures, although the Scriptures were there for him. He talked about a person. He said, I was downcast, but I was Comforted by the coming of a human being, by the coming of a person into my life by the name of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you, that is the Corinthians, had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul said, I discovered comfort and joy and blessing in my life because of Titus. What you did for Titus was passed on to me. It's relationship. As Paul came to the last part of his life, as he's reflecting back on what his life has been like and the circumstances that he's in, he's about to die for his faith as a martyr in Christ. And when you get to the end of your life, you become very reflective. You look back and you think about what's really important. What do you really value? What is in the worthy pile and what is in the unworthy pile of life? And Paul, in the latter part of his life, writes these words, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Do your best. He's writing to Timothy. He says, do your best too. Come to me quickly. He says, Timothy, I need to see you. I need you, friend, in my life. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and, and bring him with you. Notice the invitation of relationship. Bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He goes on in verse 14. Alexander, he's talking about people. The metal worker did me great harm, a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our metal Message at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. As Paul is coming to the end of his life, he's talking not just about his relationship with God, he's also talking about his relationships with people. Because Paul understood something that all of us need to understand people are important. I want to talk to you about one word this weekend, and over the next several weekends, I hope that you will be here for the entire ten weeks of this series, because each week I hope to give you at least one word that you can take away with you each week, and the word for this week is the word connected. Would you say that word with me? Come on, that was pitiful. Everybody together, connected. All you folks in Frederick, let me hear you, connected, all of us together, connected. Okay. That's your word for the week. Paul was connected. He was connected not just to God, but he was connected to some people. And I want to talk to you for the next few moments about what does it mean to get connected. You might say, well, that's kind of strange, Pastor, because we live in the most connected world we've ever had. Everybody's connected. We have these gadgets that we walk around with, and we're always in contact and connection with one another. But have you thought about that recently, how disconnected we are in a connected world? Because while you're with somebody, you're texting somebody who's not with you. When you're with them, you're texting the person you were just with. Because we don't know how to relate to the people that are around us. We don't know how to sit in a room and have a conversation anymore. We don't know how to interact with people. We've lost at some level an ability to truly connect. Oh, yes, we are connected from a technological standpoint, but are we really connected from a relationship standpoint? And the answer to that question, sadly and growingly so, is no. In fact, if I were to ask you today, how many friends do you have, your answer would automatically go to Facebook. And if you haven't realized it yet, those are cyber friends. The next time you need a loan, try out one of them. These are not, if you will, the same kind of friends that are intimately connected in our lives. And so our friendships today tend to be very shallow. They tend to be very easily discarded. People walk out on relationships all the time. Why? Because you know what? They're shallow. I'm not risking very much. I can just walk out on this one. I'll find another one. I don't need this one in my life. It's causing me too much challenge. And so they discard them, and there's a lot of emotional detachment in our world. In fact, I would venture to say that we live in a world today that has the least amount of emotional intelligence of any people for, long, for, for, for for centuries, perhaps. We don't know how to relate to each other emotionally and connect with each other. So how do we get connected? What is this connected thing all about? I'm going to share with you five things today that will help you to learn something about Creating the right kind of connections in your life. Five relationship fundamentals. Number one, write it down. God created you for relationships. God created you for relationships. God made us social creations. We flourish best. We grow best. We work best. We live most fulfilled lives when we are connected to other people. And this is not just true for people with certain personalities. We say, well, yeah, we understand the extroverts need people, but what about us introverts? We don't really need people. Well, yes, we do. Everybody, extrovert, introvert, we all need people in our lives. Let me take you to what God said about humanity himself. Let me just preface what I'm about to say with an important statement. I am a Bible teacher, I teach the Bible. I teach the Bible because I believe the Bible. I believe this book is true. I believe this book gives you everything that you need to live your life the way you need to live it. I believe this book shows us God's revelation to mankind of how the world is to operate, how we are to live. I value this book. I am simply a teacher of the Bible. I am not a politician. I'm not uh, just a, a simple instructor of social studies or humanities. I am a teacher of the Bible. So, if I'm going to understand something about God's view on things, my first orientation is to go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about something? So I want to know, what does the Bible say to us about relationships? I'm not interested in what the politicians say. I'm not interested in what you might say. I'm not even interested, really, in my own opinion about something. I first and foremost want to know, what does God have to say about something? Because if God says it, that ought to settle it. Amen? If you have a faith in God and believe that this book is a divine book, and I truly do believe that it is, and that's another message for another day, how we have confidence this Bible is a divinely inspired Word of God, but because I believe this Bible, I go to it as my source of authority. So what does God say about relationships? And going to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have the story of creation, how God made all that we know and all that we see and the beauty of creation, and it's interesting that after After God created everything, he would end it with this statement. He would say, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. After all of his creation, he would add that it is good. He did a good job. He knew what he made was good. And then we come to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and we find these very interesting words. The first time they show up in the Bible, the Lord God said, it is. Now, folks, should you take notice the first time God says something's not good? He said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He looked at Adam, his creation, this wonderful man he had created, and he said, you know, I've been watching this guy, and he's just not complete. There's something about him that's just not good for him to be alone. Now, God understood this because although God is one, God is also three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God exists in relation. Relationship. God himself exists in the context of relationship We can't explain the Trinity There's unity, there's only one God But there's three expressions of God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit Even when the world was created Or man was created God said, let us make man in our image So there is this recognition of relationship in God And he looked at Adam and said Adam, it's not good for you to be alone And then notice verse 21 and 22 Here's God's solution to what he determined to be not good. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Here God says, I'm going to do something for you, Adam. Go to sleep. He put him to sleep. And God fashioned Adam Adam's side. Side, remember that. Equality out of his side, fashioned this beautiful lady and woke up Adam and said, Adam, look. And Adam said, whoa, man, whoa. You didn't know that's where that word came from, did you? Whoa. For the first time, he sees something that complements him in beauty. And Adam begins to do something he had never done before see a woman will make you do things you've never done before Okay? okay he began to prophesy he said and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be one flesh Adam you don't know what you're talking about you don't even have a mother or father something was happening listen closely divinely in that moment God said everybody say God said God said said, I'm creating an institution here I'm establishing something that's sacred here I'm establishing something that's holy here I'm establishing something called the union of marriage marriage is holy marriage is created by god and marriage is defined by god it's defined by god as a man and a woman in committed relationship one with another now i told you i'm a bible teacher i'm not a politician so you can disagree with my politics but you don't have to you have to understand i'm here to teach you what the word of god says so god says this is what marriage looks like from this is what I've created it to be. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one. So God defined what marriage is. Now, for me, that settles it, okay? There is no debate for me, okay? That's settled. Now, that being said... We've got this marriage relationship, and throughout this series, I'm going to talk about marriage. I'm going to talk about how it relates to marriage, what it is, and how relationships and marriage work. But let's kind of go beyond that just for a moment. Not good for man to be alone, of course, he's talking about marriage, but it's also broader than this. It's also, it's not good just to be alone in life, right? Social relationships are very good for you. In fact, I had someone do a little research for me, and here's some interesting findings that we have related to the power of your social interactions. Strong, let me give them to you. From this is from the Mayo Clinic as well as Harvard University, some of the studies from NIH. Strong social relationships help an individual define their identity and their self-worth. Relationships provide a sense of meaning and purpose in our lives. Relationships help to lower the symptoms of depression for all ages. Social interactions helps relieve harmful levels of stress by releasing stress-reducing hormones. People with strong relationships are 50% more likely to live longer than those with few social links with family, friends, neighbors, or colleagues. A study shows that isolation that's pulling yourself away from people carries the same risk of early death as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, not exercising, or being an alcoholic, or severely obese. Did you hear that? If you pull back and you you break off relationships. Guess what? It's just as bad as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, being overweight, and never exercising. You say, well, can I be a Christian and not have relationships? Yes, you'll just go to heaven faster. Okay? <laughs> you die early. Okay? You rob yourself. It's a self-destructive. Listen to me. When you live in isolation, it is self-destructive. It is a slow form of suicide. You're killing yourself, and so we were made by God for relationships. We were made by God to be connected, yes, with God, but also with one another. Number two, God wants your relationships to go well, as long as they're the right relationships, by the way. That's one caveat there. As long as you're in the right relationships, He wants them to go well. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If you're in the wrong relationship, you don't want them to go well. God doesn't want them to go well. You want to get into the right relationships, and He wants them to go well when you're in those right relationships. God did not design relationships in your life to make you miserable. He didn't design them for your life so they will create heartbreak and hellish experiences on earth for you. That's not God's design. God wants them to go well, and your relationships can go well if... There's a very important word there, if. If you and I choose to invite God into our relationships, and how do we invite God into our relationships? By learning His principles, by learning what He's taught us to do and not do, and to begin to obey His Word. When you and I begin to apply the principles of God's Word and let the rule of His kingdom come into our marriages, the rule of His kingdom come into our friendships, the rule of His kingdom come into our businesses, the rule of His kingdom come into our churches, what happens is there is the strength that that, that applies to relationships it always makes you stronger when you disobey those principles what happens the breaking of God's relationship rules always causes you to suffer when you bring God's relationship rules into your relationships it brings about the prosperity of those relationships when you break them they suffer so how do our relationships go well? They go well when we bring God into them. And the third thing is important is that relationships always require initiative. So God designed you for a relationship. He wants them to go well. But if you're going to have them, it's going to require some initiative. Relationships don't just happen, folks. I think sometimes we have this misunderstanding about Friendships and relationships, somehow they sort of mystically and magically happen. No, they don't. They don't mystically and magically happen. They happen because of some effort on our part, because of some initiative on our part. Building a relationship requires investment. Building and rebuilding relationships require investment. You have to put something in. You can't expect relationships to happen or to go well by you just simply sitting back and hoping they do. You can't expect relationships to go well by just simply sitting back and praying that they will. You have to do something. There's action that is required. I'll ask it this way. How do you make a marriage better? By sitting back and hoping it gets better? I sure hope my marriage gets better. Well, let me know how that works out for you. How do you make a marriage better? Just praying that it gets better? Well, absolutely, you ought to pray for your marriage. Very important that you pray for your marriage. Invite God into your marriage. But when you begin to pray, let me tell you what's gonna happen. God will start talking to you about some changes that you need to make in your relationship with that person, with your husband or with your wife. And then suddenly there's some changes you begin to work which invites God's kingdom to invade your marriage relationship. And so there's something that you do. There's always initiative involved. There's never a relationship without Initiative. It never just mystically or magically happens. If you want better relationships or any relationships in your life, you got to do something. Turn to your neighbor and say, "Do something." Go and tell them, "Say, do something." Number four. This helping anybody today? One guy right over here. That's great. Excellent. Reaching out to build relationships is risky. The reason most people don't reach out, take initiative in relationships is because there's a risk involved. And what is the risk? It's the risk of rejection. We don't want to step out. we're, We're afraid that if I do this, I'm going to be rejected. And when we're rejected, rejection hurts, doesn't it? It doesn't feel good when you're rejected by somebody. If rejection feels good to you, you've got a whole other set of problems, okay? okay? But. But if we're healthy, rejection doesn't feel good. It plays on all the other in, the insecurities inside of us and all those other times we've been rejected. And it sort of plays all together. and makes us feel miserable about ourselves and wondering about will we ever find someone in our life. And all these questions begin to come up. And so we, we say, how can I mitigate? How can I avoid this terrible thing called rejection? So I'm just, I'm just not going to risk anything at all you know that God had to address the issue of rejection? Jesus had to address the issue of rejection. When God decided to send His Son, Jesus Christ, into our world, God had to risk the fact that His Son would be rejected. When Jesus said yes to the Father and said, yes, I'm willing to go and and be the Savior, the Redeemer of the world and die on the cross for the sins of humanity, Jesus had to come to grips with the fact that not everyone was going to accept Him, not everyone was going to like Him, not everyone was going to embrace Him. Notice how John describes it in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it's speaking of Jesus here and the first advent, the first coming of Christ, it says, He came, Jesus came to that which was His own. Own. that's the nation of Israel but his own did not did not receive him so if they didn't receive him what did they do they rejected him yet to all who received him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God so did everyone accept Jesus coming no does everyone accept Jesus coming now no but did that stop him from coming no and aren't you glad it didn't stop him from coming Because we've been redeemed by a Savior, listen, we've been redeemed by a Savior who looked at the potential of rejection in the face and said, you know what, I may be rejected but there will be those that will accept me and I'm willing to pay the price of rejection for those that I can have a relationship with. Did it hurt? Gee, of course it hurt. But he paid the price. He went past the rejection. It did not stop God. And so if you're going to have relationships in your life, you've got to take some initiative. How do you take initiative? What's the right way? Let me quickly give you seven things that will help you to break out of the isolation into initiating connections. Number one, you have to choose rightly and carefully the people that you want in your life. Always helps to choose the right people. By the way, notice there, rightly and carefully. Let me tell you, some people aren't good for you. You don't need them in your life. In fact, there's some people that you're thinking about having a relationship with. i me just couldn't tell you today. Go ahead and write them off. You don't need them. Just put them out. You don't need them in your life. If you're still single today, you're not married, let me tell you something. Make sure that the person you marry, make sure that they share your values. They share your convictions. They share your priorities. The Bible says that we're, to be, we're not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We're to make sure the people we get into a relationship with share our values. Look, if you're looking for someone to be a friend or someone as a potential spouse, don't go to a bar to find them, okay? Don't go to a bar to find them, okay? I appreciate the four claps I received on that, okay? It's awesome, amazing. Really built my ego right then. Thank you so much. Okay. Let me tell you why. Go to church, okay? Don't go to the bar, go to church. Don't don't clap yet, I got more, okay? Time out, no, no, no. You're not making up for a while ago, I'm sorry. (laughs) Because even in church, there's still some bad people in church, you know that? And so, I'm not telling you to hang out with everybody at church. But at least when you go to church, you're in the right building okay? You're in a place where you can find people that that more likely share your convictions and share where you want to go with your life. Don't ever be so needy that you're willing to pick below what you really need for your life future, okay? Don't be that way. But choose rightly and choose carefully. Number two, adjust your expectations, Realize that there's no relationship in life that's going to meet all your needs. you know that? Nobody can meet all your needs. Only God can. And so if you go into relationships expecting people to meet needs that they can't meet, you're going to be frustrated all the time. So go ahead and adjust your expectations. God, only God can meet all your major needs. He's the primary relationship that you need. Number three, be about others rather than about yourself. What I mean by that is learn how, 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 that the best way to have friends is to be a friend. If you want friends in your life don't walk around with a sign that says I'm needy I need a friend okay because I tell you what happens people run the other way But instead, find a way to be a friend to somebody else. Reach out and find out the needs in somebody else's life and be there to help them. And what happens in the context of you helping and serving, friendships form. That's why we try to encourage you here at our church to get involved in serving. Why? Because as you're serving, you will automatically develop friends around you. Number four, reach out sensitively to the people around you. Be sensitive. At least be aware of people and their needs. Be respectful. Number six, read this one with me. Refuse Come on, together. Refuse to make it a catastrophe when rejected. Listen, you are going to be rejected. How many of you have already been rejected at least one time in your life? Raise your hand, okay? When you are rejected, save the drama, okay? We all understand it, okay? I've met people before, and they've they, they got to always tell you their rejection story. Oh, this person really hurt me. And boy, it was so terrible. I so, like, okay, here we go again. Okay. <laughs> and the next person, I got to tell the story over and over again. Listen, I have a word of the Lord for you today. I have a, yes, a thus saith the Lord for you today. <laughs> if you've been hurt and you've been rejected by someone, God Almighty in heaven above says to you today, Thus saith the Lord. Get over it. Okay? Get over it, okay? Leave it behind you. Don't let that be carried with you into the... See, how much of your future are you messing up because of somebody who tried to mess you up, okay? Don't let them mess up your future. Get, don't, don't Save the drama. Pass it on to somebody else, all right? Number seven, be persistent. Get up and keep going. Understand that... You know, if you're rejected today, there's always a tomorrow. Amen? And then the last point here, you only build relationships when you value them enough to deal with fear and invest your efforts. My last point. Let me read it again. You will only build relationships when you value, circle that word on your notes, value them enough to deal with your fear and invest your efforts. Fear is a powerful thing, isn't it? Very powerful. It can keep you in your cave. It can keep you back from reaching out. And relationships are a tough thing, aren't they? Not easy. So you've got to put effort in. So you already, from the get go, you've got two things working against you. Fear is trying to hold you back from relationship building, connecting with people. And the fact that it's going to require effort, which means work. And that's holding you back as well from relationships. So you're already at a disadvantage going into a relationship because to build one you've got to overcome your fear and you've got to start doing some work. Most of us don't like either of those two things so we tend to pull into ourselves. We make our life as safe as we possibly can. So what will help us to get past the fear and to deal with the issue of having to put some effort in? The only thing that will get you beyond those two things is when you value relationships enough that your value overrides your fear and your value overrides your laziness that you value it so much. For example, in marriage, when you begin to value your marriage so much that you are willing to put in whatever is necessary to get your marriage where it needs to be, then suddenly now that vision of what your marriage can be will get you busy working toward what your vision is. See, most folks don't have a discipline problem, they have a vision problem. Because when your vision is low, your discipline will be low. But when your vision is high, it drives good discipline in your life. So, how can I help you to begin to value relationships? I want you to leave today with this value of being connected. There are four things we're going to be done. I want you to read them with me. We'll all read them together, aloud and loudly. Frederick Gaithersburg, as well. Here we go. Number one, they are God's will for you. That's the number one thing. How many of you want God's will for your life? All right, put your hands down. God's will is for relationships. How many of you now still want God's will for your life? We lost a few of you, okay? They're God's will for your life. Godly relationships are God's will. Number two, they help take you to your design. You've got to read it with me, okay? They help take you to your God-designed destiny. God has a destiny for your life. He has a plan for your life. And you need people to help you get there. If you look back on your life right now and just do a little assessment of where you are today, you're where you are today certainly foremost by the grace of God, right? He's, every good and perfect gift is from God, okay? So you're where you are by His grace. He's blessed you. But also, you have, whatever blessing you have in your life is because of some people along the way, right? Maybe it were parents that raised you in a godly atmosphere or maybe it was a grandparent that loved you or spoke a word into your life or someone that recommended you for the job you have right now or somebody that was a friend to you along the way. But you can look back and say, I am where I am right now because some people have helped me to get to where I'm at now. The good news is God's not done with you yet. Isn't that great to know? There's still more in front of you, okay? And so whatever is in front of you, you not only need God to help you get there, but you need God's people to help you get there, linked to your destiny. Number three, read this one with me. They are a key to character development. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says in Proverbs 27, 17. That is, relationships make us better. I've noticed something about people who spend a lot of time by themselves. They don't have relationships in their life. They just don't connect with people very much. What I've noticed about people like that, isolated kind of people, is that they're weird. <laughs> have you noticed that? They're weird. And the, pro- the reason they're weird is because they don't have anybody to tell them when they're getting weird. Okay? And I have, you have weirdness in you. Okay? We all do. We have weirdness. We have idiosyncrasies. We have stuff in us that just take, makes us a little strange. Okay? A little weird. Okay? And you have to have some people sometimes in your life to come along and say, you know what, you're getting a little weird right now, okay? Right? That's kind of strange. What that is is character development. It's iron sharpening iron. I have someone in my life who regularly reminds me of my weirdness, okay? Her name is Terry, okay? <laughs> okay? When I'm getting a little strange, she reminds me, hey, that's kind of strange, you know? She points She helps me see a mirror. She helps me to see stuff about myself that I wouldn't see any other way. So when you're all by yourself... You get really, really strange, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're weird. Go and tell him, you're weird, okay? Yeah? <laughs> you have the opportunity of getting back at them and say back, you are too. Go and tell him, you're weird too, okay? <laughs> So God knows that about us. He knows we're kind of strange and weird, so he puts people in our lives just to help us to understand when we're getting a little bit wacky, okay, and to kind of get back into sync with things. People help you develop your character. They help you to develop your personality. These are all good things because if you get out by yourself, you do get really, really out of whack. And the last point I want to bring for you here is they help make life what? Read it with me. They help make life meaningful. Who wants to go to the top of a beautiful mountain and see a beautiful vista and not share it with somebody? I mean, you want to get to a top of a mountain and this beautiful vista? Anytime you see a beautiful, anything beautiful that, uh, of creation or some lovely thing you want, you, the natural tendency is to say this word, look! Look is a relationship word. It's like, somebody else join in this with me. I want to share this moment with somebody else. You don't want to get to the top of the mountain and all you do is take a selfie. Yeah. 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 That's, that's our world today. Have you noticed that? This is the world of selfies. Come on. Put some other people in your pictures. Okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, put some other people in your pictures. You're ugly. Okay. No, I didn't mean that last part. I didn't mean that last part. Isn't that the world we live in? Who wants to go through a valley by yourself? I don't want to go through a valley by myself. I need the Lord who is my shepherd to walk through the valley with me so that I can fear no evil but I also want some people to walk through the valley with me they may not know exactly what I'm going through and they may not know exactly what to say but at least they're there And so the reason sometimes we don't have anybody at the top of our mountains to share the look with or going with us through the valley to just be there with us is because we haven't developed those relationships. We haven't connected with anybody because connection requires initiative. It doesn't just happen. You have to do something. The responsibility is not on all those people out there to bring you into their world. It is your responsibility to step into a group of people and find a place and a way to connect. The responsibility is on you to make connections with your life. And yes, you're going to get hurt along the way, but there's great benefit when you make connections. I did a little research as well on on horses. I'm going to be done here. Draft horses, they sometimes put them in competition. These draft horses, these massive animals, major muscles, I mean, just capacity to pull, great weights. And so they do these contests to see how much weight horses can pull. And uh, there's a certain kind of draft horse called a Belgian draft horse, and they've discovered, to the best of my knowledge, one of the records is that a draft horse can pull about 8,000 pounds. That's a lot of weight, isn't it? One horse pulling 8,000 pounds, Okay. But they also found out this, when they link up or harness up another draft horse, Belgian draft horse, with that one that pulled 8,000 pounds, and measure how much weight the two can pull together, common mathematics would tell us that they would be able to pull how much? How brilliant you are. 16,000 pounds, right? Oh, just normally, okay, 16,000. But they've discovered that one can pull 8,000, but two of them can pull 24,000 pounds. Isn't that interesting? Not twice the amount of one, but... Well, you guys are major mathematicians. You're doing great, okay? Three times the amount of one horse when they link up together. Think about the ramifications of that in your life that when you learn to get connected in right relationships, a marriage where a husband and wife are connected, a family where the family members are connected, a business where the business partners are connected, a church where the body of believers are connected, when we become connected, there's amazing strength in connection. The, the phrase for this week is get Connected. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that as we've studied today, that you might take these words and apply them deep in our hearts. We want to grow, we want to learn. We want to be better at what you've called us to be in relationships. And I pray that each one of us, Lord, starting this journey together, would learn things that we've never known before or reapply things that we've known from the past. I pray that you'll heal marriages, strengthen marriages. Heal and strengthen families, build businesses, bring unity in relationships and friendships, create greater unity in our church family, Lord God, usefulness to the world around us for the kingdom of God, we pray. Work in each one of our lives for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I wanna lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the savior, the redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward, in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.